I'm going to do something first here. Give one second. <laughs> we got to get a little higher for me so I don't hurt my back because I like to preach, you know, pretty short, but I like to also lean on this thing. Okay, so uh, this morning... Um, we, we started off our, our service here with a, uh, a scripture reading, a good uplifting scripture reading, right, from the book of Jeremiah. Such a happy guy, you know, that Jeremiah. Um, so full of hope and, and joy and just good news, right? Not really, not really at all. Um, I've shared with this with you before, but um, the, the Babylonian captivity, this period is one of my favorite periods in the Bible. Um, and one of the reasons that it is one of my favorite periods is because I think there are so many applications uh, for today. Um, and there are so many parallels to the way Babylon did things um, as compared to the way that, that our world uh, works today. And we're going to see some of those in the beginnings of, of Daniel chapter 1 here. Um, and over the next several weeks, we're going to look at different passages in Daniel. Um, I, I'm uh, slated for four weeks here, um, so I think we'll cover um, the, uh, the period of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, um, that period of the book of, of Daniel here, which I think will, will take us right to where we, we need to go there. Um, but there's certain things that I want us to see in this book. And at the top of your handout here, um, I've kind of titled this series, uh, Fight, Flight, or Faith. Um, this is, these are the options that we, we have when we are faced with a nation like, uh, like Babylon. Um, and, and Babylon was different than, than other nations, and we'll talk about that in a second, but um, they didn't do things the same way, um, and, uh, and we'll see that. But I do want to kind of step back for a second and just give us some background on the, the Old Testament as a, as a whole. Um, you guys know that I, I love Old Testament narrative, and uh, when I get called to preach, I usually go back to uh, an Old Testament narrative um, just because uh, I love it so much. There's so many stories to, uh, to pull out here. But one of the things that we can observe through the Old Testament is this cycle that Israel is, is on here. Um, and the cycle goes like this. Uh, God blesses Israel. Israel then sins. God chastises Israel. And then there is a... Um, there's a forgiveness and then back to a, a blessing again. And this cycle repeats itself over and over and over again in the life of Israel as we read the, the Old Testament and this, this family of, of Abrahams to the nation of Israel uh, to the uh, Egyptian um, captivity or, or occupation there and then finally to the, the Babylonian captivity here and it's going to continue uh, for Israel throughout the Old Testament here. So we're in this cycle here, and as we approach Daniel, um, at the beginning of the book of Daniel, we are in this sin cycle, okay? We are in that, that portion of it. So first, Israel was blessed, then they sinned, and now we're transitioning from that sin into the chastisement of that sin. Um, what is God going to do about the specific sin or sins that Israel is committing right now. And in order to understand that, we need to go back uh, a few kings. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel cried out for a king. God gave them one. His name was Saul. 
Um, Saul was then um, succeeded by a man named David, um, who was a godly king, um, who was a king that God chose uh, for the nation, um, who led the nation um, wisely, had his own faults, had his own hang-ups, um, but uh, one of those hang-ups actually resulted in uh, the next king that follows, whose name is Solomon. Um, and then uh, after Solomon dies, we have a, a rough period in Israel's history where the kingdom is actually divided. Um, there's a northern kingdom and there is a southern kingdom. And the kings that follow, kind of a mixed bag um, that we get. But uh, in the southern kingdom, we find this king named what, Josiah? What's his name? His name's Josiah. Uh, king Josiah. And it says of King Josiah that King Josiah is a righteous king. He is a good king. He walks in the footsteps of his father, David. Um, he doesn't turn from the right to the left. What he does is righteous in the sight of the Lord. Now, the unique thing about King Josiah is he comes to power when he is eight years old. When he's eight years old, he comes to power. And it says that he is a righteous king. Um, and in the 18th year of his reign, he decides that he is going to clean up the temple because it's been neglected for years and years and years. And as he's cleaning up the temple, he decides to clean out the temple as well because Israel in this sin cycle has brought false gods into and their, their statues and things like that, they have brought them into the temple of God. So Josiah cleans all of that out, and in the cleaning out, he happens upon the book of the law, which is a theme throughout the Old Testament, happening upon the book of the law. And when Josiah finds the, the book of the law and it's read to him, he rips his clothes, and he has it read to the entire nation, and it leads to this mini-revival in the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom here. During Josiah's reign, or slightly before, in Jeremiah's case, um, Josiah's reign, three men are born. Okay, one of them is Jeremiah, who we just read. And in the 11th year of uh, Josiah's reign, so about seven years before he cleans out the temple, Jeremiah starts to get his prophecy and, and starts to, to preach. Um, and what Jeremiah is preaching is, is what we just heard that there is a chastisement coming. Um, you see, the issue is the people of Israel not only were given to idolatry, but as Jeremiah just told us, they were not obeying the word of the Lord. And one of the main areas that they were not obeying the word of the Lord was Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 talks about giving the land rest. Um, God gave man a Sabbath. He says, six days shall you work, and on the seventh you shall rest. Um, God would tell us again, time and time again, that the Sabbath was not made for God. The Sabbath was made for, for us. It was a gift to us. It was a time of rest for us so we would not work ourselves into the ground. In Leviticus chapter 25, God says, hey, not only do you need a rest, the land needs a rest. So for six years, you will work the fields, but on the seventh year, you will let it rest. Well, money is a 
powerful, powerful thing in people's lives and greed and security is a powerful thing. And that seventh year had the ability to get a little bit lean. So after the Egyptian captivity for 490 years, Israel did not let the land rest. And God said, my word is true. And when I say let the land rest, let the land rest. So God does some quick math, which is not difficult for him. He says 490 years divided by seven, 70 years. 70 years you will be in captivity in Babylon. And the people of Israel and Judah should know this is coming. It's coming. You can't stop it. It is coming for you. So Daniel is one of these individuals. He is born during the time of, uh, of Josiah's reign here. Um, but Josiah actually dies. Um, they get into a conflict with Israel. Um, and one of the pharaohs of Israel actually has him killed um, in the midst of a battle. And we get back to this cycle of difficult kings. And we come to a king named Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was not a righteous man. Um, Jehoiakim, uh, most famously, I think, um, would uh, find out that Jeremiah has been writing scrolls. And these scrolls have been read to the people. And the people are starting to believe them. And he orders that the scroll is found. He finds the scroll, he listens to what it says, and he repents. No, he doesn't repent. He has it torn up, and then he throws it into a fire and he burns it. As if that's going to stop the word of God, right? Tearing it up and fire. God says to Jeremiah, hey Jeremiah, write another one. Oh, and by the way, there's, there's some more things that we need to add to it. And he writes another scroll. But Jehoiakim is the uh, is the uh, the king as we um, as we find out here the third person that is born during the reign of Josiah is a man named Ezekiel. Um, so you have Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel all existing at the same time. Um, we don't really have any evidence that they knew one another personally. Um, we know that Daniel would be called to the king's court to be a prophet there. That Jeremiah would be a, um, a prophet before the captivity to the people while they are still in uh, Judah. And we know that Ezekiel will eventually be taken by Babylon and he will be a prophet to the people of Judah while they are in captivity in Babylon. Um, there's probably a good chance that Ezekiel at least knew who Daniel was with his position in the court. Um, but we don't really have any evidence that they... They met each other or their, their paths crossed. Um, but I think all of us hearing those three names can say that this is a significant time in the world's history. That there is something about this that God raises up three great prophets at the same time. What are we supposed to focus on in this book? So turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 here. Our big idea... When our sovereign God allows suffering, 
Will we choose satisfaction or sanctification? By the idea of satisfaction there, I needed an S, okay? I probably would have chose the word comfort or convenience. But that idea, do we satisfy our own needs, our own wants, our own desires, our own view of what is right in our own eyes? Or do we choose to sanctify ourselves? So again, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. And right off the bat here, we're going to see what Babylon is all about. How they conduct themselves. What is their message here? So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, in the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So, right off the bat, we get the major players here. It is Judah versus Babylon here. Okay, Judah's king we mentioned is Jehoiakim. Babylon's king is this guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar's name is, is from his, one of his gods. Uh, Star Wars fans will, will recognize this, but uh, one of the Babylonian gods' name was Nabu. And his name means Nabu will, will protect the crown. That's what, that's what Nebuchadnezzar's name means. Jehoiakim means that God will establish Okay, um, but Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, their names focus on their gods specifically, and that plays into the message that Babylon is sending. It says that they besieged Judah. Now, when you besiege something, you basically just surround it. You surround it and you wait it out. You wait for the inhabitants inside to basically give up. So. Fairly typical, common military tactic. We do it today usually with ships, where we will create a barricade, a blockade, and not let anything come in or outside of the city. Um, you're stuck. You are on an island. You are all alone. There's no one to help you, and this very large army is sitting outside. This is very, very different than the way the Assyrians would come in and take over a city. See, the Assyrians were br brutal. The Assyrians who took over the northern kingdom who existed before Babylon, um, the Assyrians would come in and they would perform terrible atrocities. Um, they would torture families in front of each other. Uh, they would skin individuals alive and then tan the skin that they had and make their tents out of that skin. It was a very, very scary, bloody, horrific takeover. Babylon does things differently. Babylon amasses a large army, comes in, and just waits. And they wait, and they wait. And eventually, whoever is being besieged, they give up. They just give up. See, Babylon's message here is that we are bigger than you. We are much bigger than you. You cannot compete with us. And when they come in, they're going to take some things. One of the things that it says that they take here is they take some of the vessels of the house of God. 
See, Babylon's message to the people is, hey, we're bigger than you, we're better than you. Our gods are bigger and better than your gods. And we know it. Listen, this is evidence of the fact that we are just better than you. We won. We didn't even have to fight. You guys remember a boxer by the name of Muhammad Ali? Muhammad Ali had a, he had a tactic. Um, and he would go to his corner and he would say, listen, I'm going to win this round without even throwing a punch. And his trainer was like, no, that's impossible. And Muhammad Ali would get up there and he kind of looked like an NBA fighter. If you know, if you've ever seen an NBA fight, an NBA fight is basically don't hit me in the face. You get this stance right here and you're like, okay, don't, don't hit me in the face. I'm not going to throw a punch, but don't hit me in the face. And this is what Muhammad Ali would do. He would back himself up on the ropes and basically let you tire yourself out. There's a, there's a very good movie out right now. It's called, um, it's the George Foreman story. Julie and I watched it the other day. Um, but uh, very good Christian message inside of it. But Muhammad Ali does it to George Foreman because George Foreman was a big guy. And George wore himself out. But without even throwing a punch, he would win the round. This is what Babylon does. Babylon says, we're so big, we're so bad, we're so great, we're so smart. We don't even got to throw a punch. You're going to lose. And this is Babylon's mentality. This is their mindset, okay? This is Babylon's message to the world. Verse 3, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the king, uh, the chief of the eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Judah right now. Okay? Um, you're tired. You're probably hungry. Okay, you haven't had food because they basically starved you out. You're weak physically. You're weak mentally. And then they come in and they start lining you up. And they're looking around. And they say, give us your best and your brightest. Because we're taking them. Allie, you're gone. How you feel, Julie? Not so great. You're defeated, right? You're gone. Tamika, you're gone. Billy, you're, uh, you're still here. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I don't even know where Billy is. Where is he? There he is. No, they'd take Billy. They'd take Billy. But they're gone. Khaki, gone. They're gone. How do we feel, church? How do we feel? Devastated. They just took our kids. But where did they take our kids? They took our kids to Babylon. They're going to train them. They're going to educate them. I want to give you a picture of Babylon. Babylon is the ancient, modern-day equivalent 
of Disney World. It is the most beautiful city that you have ever seen. The walls of Babylon, some estimate to be over 300 feet tall, 30 feet wide. They're adorned in these beautiful, opulent gates that are created. There are museums around the world that have recreated these gates. They are just absolutely amazing. There's a river. Oh my goodness. The Babylonians redirected the Euphrates River around the city to create a partial moat around the city. And then redirected the river again to run through the city. It's 14 miles wide by 14 miles long. It's a big square. It's got several walls inside of it. This would be the most secure place in the world from a worldly standard. There are turrets all around the outsides of the walls. The gates, again, are just beautiful as you walk in. Again, Disney World. And then in the middle of the city is this giant ziggurat that's covered. A ziggurat's like a, it's like a stepped pyramid. I call it a poor man's pyramid, but it's not. It's a stepped pyramid, and it's got all of these lush greenery that's just hanging all over it. Things that these people had never seen. And our children are walking in. And remember the message. We're bigger. We're better. We're smarter. Our gods are bigger than yours. Our cities are better than your cities. They're going to try to indoctrinate these kids, but they're going to do it in a sly way. You see, Babylon doesn't want slaves. Babylon wants citizens. And they are going to try to woo your children away from you. See, a lot of people think that Daniel is, is thrown in jail here. There's some things that just that don't add up the fact that, you know, with the fact that he's thrown in jail. He's placed in the king's palace. And in a second here, we're going to read that he's given the best food that is available to anyone in the kingdom, the food from the king's table. Babylon is going to seek to indoctrinate children and then possibly send them back to Jerusalem to those nations, re-educated, reprogrammed, and ready to create more citizens. This is Babylon's plan. This is their purpose and their power. Their size and their intellect. This is what they are relying on. And guess what, guys? This is what the world relies on. You know, I know some of you are, are concerned um, with the way the world is going. And you should be. You should be concerned with the way the world is going. I personally do not think that the world is, is getting any better. Um, I don't think that we are uh, returning to, to biblical, good biblical um, principles in our, in our nation here. I think that we're going the wrong direction. And some of us think, hey, you know what? Um, maybe I shouldn't do X, Y, and Z with, with my kids because they're being indoctrinated by the world. And you're probably right. But I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach here and I'm going to say, you don't even know the ways that your child is being indoctrinated right now. 
you can't figure them out. You can't see them. It's not going to be as obvious as what Babylon does here, where they take your children, and in a second we're going to see they change their name, and they give them the best of the best, and they wow them with everything that the world has to offer. See, with us in America, it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. I feel like each generation that we are raising up is slowly drifting and drifting and drifting. How do we respond as Christians when we see ourselves slipping? When we find ourselves in a situation where we say, you know what? Things are not necessarily adding up. This wasn't necessarily my plan. Verse five here. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they would, be, they would stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah uh, of the tribe of Judah. The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, it's very obvious what he's doing here with changing their names. Okay, first he says, listen, you guys, anywhere from 12 to 22 years old, you guys just got a full ride to college. All expenses paid. Free room and board, free education, It's all on us. Just follow. And you get it. The nation that just defeated you is going to educate you and show you why we're better. And they show up and they get a new name. So let's let's briefly discuss because I think in the names, at least the Hebrew names, we start to develop a theme of what God is trying to communicate through the book of Daniel here. Daniel's name means God is my judge. Din El, God is my judge. That in Hebrew is what it means. His new name means the treasure of Bel, which was one of the Babylonian gods here. Hananiah, Hananiah's name means the Lord is gracious. I'll tell you what, in their current situation, He doesn't feel very gracious, but the Lord is gracious. His new name is Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, who was their moon god. Mishael, Mishael's name means who is like God. Meshach, who is like Aku. Azariah's name means the Lord helps, and Abednego means that he is the servant of of Nego or Nebu. Change their names. This is not, this is not a, a new tactic. This had been happening for years and years and would be continued on for years and years into modern day times. You only need to look back at World War II to what the Nazis did to the Jewish people. They came in and they didn't just change their names. They completely dehumanized them and just gave them a number. And they said, this is your number. And they took that number and they tattooed it on their arms. This is a tactic. Erasing everything from their culture. This is what 
Babylon wanted to do. And I'm going to tell you this, guys. This is what the world wants to do to us. It wants to erase our culture. It wants to erase our reliance on God. The world wants to tell you, hey, those are outdated, outmoded. We no longer listen to them. It's not relevant for today. Those were thousands and thousands of years ago. How can you apply those principles to today? They want to do everything they can to discredit the word of God. And this is what Babylon is trying to do to Daniel, his three friends, and everyone else that they took from Judah. Now, mind you, they didn't just do this to Judah. This was every nation that they conquered. They wanted to spread the Babylonian way of life. They wanted citizens and not slaves. But we jump to Daniel chapter chapter 1, verse 8 here, and we start to see... That Daniel has a purpose. That God's man is on the scene here. Daniel's purpose and God's power. How is it going to work in the face of this insurmountable mountain that they're trying to overcome here? We read in verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the meat, um, the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief priest of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. I want to step back for a second here, and I want you guys to realize, we have this mentality sometimes that when, when the heat is on, when, when push comes to shove, we're just going to turn it on. Like, we'll be ready. Uh, when I was in Ohio, we had a young man who, uh, who wanted to be in the military. He wanted to be a Marine. And I spoke with his mother about some issues that he had. And uh, this individual wasn't really punctual. He wouldn't get up on time. He never cleaned his room. Never made his bed. His grades were so-so. Eh, he wouldn't follow through on the things that he said. So I sat him down in my office and I said, what do you want to do with your life? He says, I want to be a Marine. I said, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. When are you going to start acting like a Marine? When are you going to have some self-discipline in your life? Well, when I get there, I'll just be ready. You won't. Those of you who have done something difficult, ran a marathon, um, for me, even you know, if you've run a 5K, because I can't do that, if you've run around the block and not got winded, um, you, know, you know that it takes training. You don't just jump into a marathon. You don't just go from me to, uh, you know, what is it, 28 miles or, or however long it is. You don't do that. You, how far is it? 26.2. See, I don't even know. That's how much I care. Um, you don't just jump into it. You don't just jump into it. You have to train for it. Daniel here, he doesn't just turn this on. This is something that has been ingrained in him. And most scholars believe he's 15 years old. It's been ingrained in him. This is a 
strategy, a tactic, a, a lifestyle, a characteristic that he has honed over the years. See, it's important to remember that when Daniel was born, there was a good king in Israel or in Judah. There was a good king. There was influence for him to be able to read what God is doing. See, Daniel knew something that maybe most of the other captives around him did not know or believe. He knew that there was a prophet named Jeremiah that got a message from the Lord that said, for 70 years, by name of the country and the king, you're going to be in captivity. And what does Daniel do when the world's view when Babylon's view presses up against what the Lord has said, what the word of God has said as far as what he should eat or drink, he gets a lawyer. And he says, you know what? My rights are being infringed on. I'm upset. No, no, no. He, he runs to his, his, his other Jewish friends and he says, all right, let's get together. We're going to start a mob. We're going to get angry. We're going to get mad. You know what we're going to do? We're going to write a strongly worded note and post it on the walls of Babylon. Many of you know where I'm going with this. Now, what does Daniel do? Daniel draws a circle around himself. And he says, I'm going to choose not to defile myself. And then what does he do? He asks. There's nothing wrong with asking. There's nothing wrong with asking. He gently, politely asks. And in verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Who gave him compassion? God. Who gave him favor? God. Daniel's one small request here is going to echo throughout the book and throughout his life. See, Daniel relying on the Lord, trusting in the Lord's word, is going to affect an entire kingdom. Daniel's never going to raise to the authority that Joseph was in, at, the end of, at the end of the book of Genesis here. But his influence over the king and the king's decision is going to echo throughout the entire book. From the time that he's 15 years old till he's probably into his 80s, this man is going to be looked at with reverence. Because he is a prophet in the king's court, a prophet of the most high God. And he drew a circle around himself and said, I will choose not to defile myself. And God chose to bless him for that. Why? Because Daniel knew the word of God. He knew that God said 70 years. And guess what? Daniel's not even out of the first year. This is day one on the job. Daniel says, hey, I got to eat to survive. You know what? Maybe being alive is better than being dead. 
right? No, he doesn't say that. He asks the chief of the eunuchs if it's possible for him not to defile himself. God specifically places Daniel here for a reason. We have the advantage of reading Daniel's entire story. Uh, we know how it ends. We just, we just broke, briefly talked about how it ends. We see how God do, uh, did all of this. But again, this world is a rough place. And I have no idea what you're going through right now. I don't know how the world specifically in your life is butting up against the word of God. But I think all of us need to ask ourselves, how are we responding to the world? How are we moving forward here in light of God's word and what the world is is trying to accomplish? Are we like David? You know, you may be sitting here today and you may say to yourself, listen, Billy, I don't even even know God, okay? All I know is the world um, and the world system. And guess what? It's, It's worked out pretty good for me. So far. I mean, going with the flow, doing my own thing, trying to be the best person I can. You know, it's gotten me this far. There were plenty of people around, around Daniel who chose to compromise or who didn't know God that were thinking the same exact thing. Hey, Daniel, don't upset the fruit cart here, literally. Just go with the flow. Just keep your head down. Do what you have to do. And survive. But Daniel says, no, I'm going to trust in the word of the Lord. In the Gospel of John, um, the very first chapter, in, in verse 14 here, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen glory as glory only from the Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, speaking of John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, this is the one whom I've said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from the fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Only God who is from the Father, uh, only God, who is from the Father's side, has made it known to us. You see, guys, even though Daniel was, was you know, thousands of years ago here, God, God's word still existed. John tells us here that Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. If you're sitting here today, and you're saying to myself, listen, this is some guy who existed during the time of Babylon here, And sure, he believed some words that were before him, that some prophet came and they they said, and then they eventually came true. Well, thousands of years later, a man came to this earth that was that word made flesh in Jesus Christ. As we sit here today, Daniel's story rings true in our lives. Are we going to trust the word God? Of God. You see, Daniel's prophecies here, they're not just about Babylon. Daniel at the end is going to go through the rest of human history. And he's going to say, eventually, a mountain will come and, and crush all of these other kings. And that mountain is God Himself. The kingdom is His kingdom. And the king of that kingdom is Jesus Christ. 
See, everybody reads this book of Daniel. There's a lot of people that read it and they're like, oh, this is apocalyptic. It's all bad news. It's this, it's that. It's, it's, it's fire and brimstone. It's terrible. I see it as a message of hope and joy. That even though in this world we can struggle, there is a hope that we have. And I'm telling you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he is the Word made flesh. He is the one that we need to trust today. When the world butts up against our Christian beliefs, what the Word of God says here, we need to draw a circle around ourselves and say, no, I'm not going to choose to defile myself. Because that's what Christ did. Christ challenged not only the world's standards, but he also, he also challenged the religious standards of the time. Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and died for each and every one of us. How do I know that? If we read a few chapters later in John, it says... For God so loved the world, in John 3, 16, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God and this is for us in our passage here. And this is the judgment. The light came into the world and the people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. Babylon's system here, our world's system here, if you're in love with it, you're in love with the darkness. There were many people during the time of, of Daniel here that saw Babylon. They saw what happened. They saw it with their eyes and it was attractive to them. They saw a way for them to advance themselves, to grow in this kingdom, to be somebody someday. And listen, this is what America's all about, right? Come on, strap up your bootstraps. Get ready. If you work, it's yours. If you're ambitious, you can do it. You make yourself what you want yourself to be. You can do anything. I certainly believe that. I've had a million jobs. No, but it's like, it's like you can do whatever you want. Are you in love with the darkness? You know, there have been many people that said, if I ever sat foot in church, oh my goodness, the whole place would, step foot in church, oh, the whole place would just burn down. You know why people are afraid sometimes? They're afraid because they're going to be exposed. I'm here to tell you today, if you don't know Christ, this verse here says you're already exposed. You're already condemned. Jesus Christ came to set you free. The way to be set free is to believe the word of God, just like Daniel did. That's for you who don't know Christ. Christian now, I'm going to meddle. I'm sorry, I'm going to meddle with you here. We have a responsibility to obey the word of God, to trust and obey 
the sovereign word of God here. Okay, that is our, that is our call, that is our, our, our mode of operation, our, our, our way of life here. But if we're honest with ourselves, the way that we conduct ourselves sometimes is the very reason why people don't want to obey the word of God. You just turn on the television, you turn on the news, and you hear story after story of religious leader who fell from grace. They had a moral failing. And we look at them, and automatically we just cast them off. We write them off. We're like, oh, they're terrible, they're awful. And then we have a bunch of pastors who get up and they preach not the word of God, they preach against these individuals here. But I think all of us right now need to just draw a circle around ourselves. And we need to say, listen, is the way that I'm conducting myself a hindrance to the gospel? When God allows these struggles to happen in our lives, do we fight mean and ugly? Do we complain about it? Do we try to fight against it? Does somebody almost, almost lose an ear over it? Right? Do we run away from it? Do we avoid it? Do we find ourselves in a situation where we think to ourselves, listen, it's better for me to live to fight another day. And if I have to stand here and lie, I'll stand here and lie. But all of a sudden, we hear a bird. And we turn and we look. And we realize the very thing that the Son of God said about us is true. And we run away crying. Oh, friend, if you're angry today, if you're in a fight, draw back. Draw the circle. Do what the word of God says. Trust and obey. Don't run from the, from the problem. There's no need to fight. There's no need for flight. You need to act like Daniel and have faith in the God who can rescue you. Now, those of you who are Christians, you know I'm obviously talking about Peter. And on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And we'll talk about that in a second. But on the very night he was betrayed, Peter did both. He tried to fight. And then after he fought, he followed and wound up running away. The good news of that story, though, is that Jesus comes and forgives. How are we conducting ourselves as Christians? Do we look like Daniel? Let's look at the results here of what Daniel was able to do here. Or what God was able to do through Daniel. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief priests and the eunuchs. And the chief priests and the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my king, the Lord, who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age, so you would endanger my head with the king? 
And Daniel said to the steward of the chief and the eunuchs um, and had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let, the, uh, let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who ate the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servant according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter. He was tested. Daniel says, listen, let's, let's do a trial run here. He says, I'm going to keep this circle around me. Just give me water and vegetables to eat. And then after 10 days... You tell me what you see. Results matter. They matter to this guy, right? This eunuch, this chief of the eunuchs, he says, listen, if you're not looking good, I'm dead. I'm not doing my job. Daniel recognizes this. And he says, if I obey the word of the Lord and I believe God has put me here for a purpose, I am going to choose faith. And I'm going to say it is sin for me to defile myself by eating food and drink that has probably been offered to idols. I'm going to choose vegetables and water. The eunuch says, okay, sure, go ahead. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine and they were, uh, they were to drink and gave them all vegetables. I've said this before to you guys too, but Daniel ruins it for everybody. And the other, well, we'll talk about the other miracle in a second here, but he ruins it for everybody. He says, listen, put God to the test and God's gonna show up and guess what? God shows up. He says, I'm drawing my circle here. I am going to trust that the Lord is going to bless me by doing the right thing. We'll read later of three men who said, hey, we're going to do the right thing. And even if it's the Lord's will for us to die, you're going to know that we would die. And you're going to know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 17 here, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom and Daniel understanding and visions and dreams, which is going to come into play just the next chapter. At the end of time, sorry, uh, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar and the king spoke to them and among all of them, none was found like Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And listen to this, verse 20 here. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the, all the, not the musicians, all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. God performs two miracles here. Jokingly, God performs two miracles. You ready for this? First one, vegetables make people fat. (laughs) Second one, a group of teenagers become 10 times more wise than everybody else in the kingdom. 
That was a little fun joke for you guys there. But it's true that these losers, these people who were conquered, these people whose names were changed because their God wasn't powerful enough to save them, are now healthier looking, smarter, and more wise than everyone else in the king's court. I don't know about you, but we'll see in chapter 2 that Daniel kind of fades back. He's kind of forgotten about for a second here. If I'm Nebuchadnezzar, if I'm the king and I'm talking to these youths who have in three years become ten times smarter than anyone else in my kingdom here, those, those kids aren't leaving my sight. That's my brain trust, okay? Those are the people that I'm running everything by. But it's amazing how quickly the world forgets. See, guys, results matter, though. They obviously mattered to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. They mattered. It was their lives that were on the line. Uh, The same thing with the chief of the eunuchs. His life was on the line. The results of this test were going to determine whether he lived or died. They also matter to the king. The king is astonished by these young men. But most importantly, the results matter to God. See, here were four young men that accepted a bad hand that was dealt to them. See, the nation, the nation sinned, and that's why they are in captivity. But everything we see of these four young men says that they're righteous young men. They trusted in the word of God. Guys, when suffering comes, what are you going to choose? When God allows this to happen, when we feel like God has hurt us, God has put us intentionally in a difficult position, how do we respond? Do we rebel? Do we say, hey, I deserve this? This isn't fair? Therefore, I'm going to do what I want to do? Or do we look to Daniel and what God was able to do through his life? Do we say, circle up right around me here? I'm not going to choose to satisfy my own wants, my own desires, my own needs. I am going to choose today to sanctify myself. And God, I don't know exactly what you have planned for me, but I know what you've called me to do. That's what Daniel does here. Daniel says, I don't have all the answers, but I know what I'm supposed to do because I'm trusting in the word of God.